Hey, .NET Rocks listeners. So you never went to NDC. I get that. It's Norway. It's Oslo. But did you know that the videos for all the sessions are online? Yeah, go to vimeo.com slash ndcoslo. You'll see some amazing sessions, and they're all right there. And if you're really curious, you can check out the lineup for NDC 2014, which is happening June 2nd through 6th. ndcoslo.com is the website, but again, if you want to check out the videos, vimeo.com, that's V-I-M-E-O dot com slash ndcoslo. Richard and I will be there this year. Maybe we'll see you too. .NET Rocks, episode 985, with guest Jonathan Peppers. Recorded Monday, May 12th, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. Richard's a tech ed. Sir, how are you, man? I'm still shaking off the jet lag from Nepal, to yeah. be honest. You're a world traveler guy. I'm a desktop <laughs> traveler. I've been doing a lot of uh, coding, believe it or not. Nice. That always makes you happy, too. I love coding. You know, I've been working on three awesome projects here at Pwop Studios, but I can't even talk about them. They're so awesome. That's how awesome they are. That's how awesome Nobody's they are. Nobody's allowed to know about them. Well, WPF and Connect been doing a lot of blend, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of design work. And it's been so much fun. Sort of, uh, you know, gone by the wayside. No, no, no. If you're doing any WPF, you're 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 in blend. You want to be blendy. Just little things like um, you're you you have a a grid, right? A WPF grid, and you have a whole bunch of elements that are in different rows, and you want to move them up a row. Yep. If you're in Visual Studio, you're changing row numbers in code in XAML. But if you're in Blend, you just say boink, move them up, and they just whoosh, changes the sample for you. Little things like that. Blend nice. is like the designer that we should have had in Visual Studio if we were smart enough to to you know design visually. Well, there's a lot of overlap now between what Studio can do and what Blend can do, isn't there? No. <laughs> you think they're very different from each other still? Yeah, they are. Okay. The whole, all the, the whole timeline thing in Blend and, and Triggers... Those are those tools we just don't have in Visual Studio. It's yeah. Interesting. Lots of great stuff. Plus, we can, uh, you know, we were talking with Billy uh, Hollis about um, XAML, about how if you want to make templates, you know, of let's say a button, you have to have the XAML for the button as it exists. And you can't just like say, I want to just add to it or modify it. Well, you can create a copy in Blend. You can just say, edit a copy, and it just takes everything that the button is, XAML-wise, boom, there's your copy. Now you can just nice. modify it. Little stuff like that. It's just wonderful. And it's interesting you bring up that Billy Hollis show, too, because it, it ruffled some feathers to that, you know, there's folks out there are very happy to see XAML doing well and, and getting lots of traction. Uh, some folks just want this to be an HTML world, right? Well, that's really what it came down to. Yeah, I mean, people see XAML as like old world technology, but I tell you what, man, that's it's here to stay. <laughs> that's true. It's not old world at all. It's pretty freaking spectacular. And conversely, it's making a lot of money. So yep. can't argue with that. Building stuff works. Yeah, let's roll the music because I got some something fun for Better oh. No Framework. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Have you ever typed in, uh, you know, a Google Bing search term to try to figure out how to do something and landed on ehow.com? 
I have. So, Richard, when you've landed on eHow.com, what would you say the percentage of useful answers is that you've gotten from eHow.com? Oh, I guess approaching zero. Yeah, mostly they're kind of dumb, aren't they? Yeah, I thought it was just one of those plague-generated website-type things. Right. You know, but they're just scraping other people's content and doing a bad job of it. Yeah. So I landed on how to fix a JavaScript error. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Go to tinyurl.com slash pesky.js. And Jonathan, (laughs) you're going to love this too. How to fix a JavaScript error. Now, you'd think, wow, that's a big topic. We could go on and on for like a whole show. Oh, yeah. Many shows, actually. A JavaScript error. Wow, that's a very broad thing, right? And how to fix it? Oh, my God. That's like, you know, you got to take a class to learn how to fix JavaScript errors, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Step one. Open the web page in Internet Explorer. When the error occurs, the yellow icon displays in the bottom status bar. Double-click the icon to review the line of code that is causing the error. Internet Explorer also displays the line number where the error message is triggered. Mm-hmm. Number two, right-click the HTML or JS page which contains your JavaScript function. Click Open With, then click your HTML or JS editor. Okay. Number three, scroll down to the line number listed in the Internet Explorer error window. You must identify the JavaScript syntax error to fix the coding. For instance, if you are missing closing or opening brackets, the JavaScript engine displays an error, and you must add these characters to stop the errors. Four, click the browser's tools menu and click Internet Options in the list of options. Click the Security tab at the top of the resulting window. Here mm-hmm. it comes. Step five, click Custom Level to open the security options. Click Enable for active scripting in the scripting section. Click OK to save the settings. This option stops JavaScript errors caused by security in the browser. (laughs) So you fix the error by not showing it to anybody anymore. Yeah. Awesome. Isn't that great? Gee, thanks, Ehow. Yeah. I feel smarter already. (laughs) And we used to think this programming stuff was hard. <laughs> Honestly. I got such well, a kick out of that. Oh like, so God. you thought you'd share it with the world, huh? <laughs> That's it. You too can be a JavaScript programmer. We used to, in the in the days when we were compiling at the command line, there used to be a command line. There probably is still a command line switch to suppress error, compiler errors. Right. <laughs> And that was that was a joke around Crescent Software is like how to how to stop those pesky bugs. You just yep. turn off the compiler errors. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if the compiler doesn't generate any errors, there's no errors. <laughs> That's lovely. Oh wow. I'm crying over here. That's beautiful. Who knew it was five easy steps? <laughs> I had no idea. I've been wasting my life. The <laughs> five steps to fix the JavaScript error. It'll make everything better. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I'd like to see the e-how on how to fix a printer. Buy a new one. Yeah. (laughs) Take a sledgehammer. (laughs) (laughs) Just watch The Office. They'll tell you what to do with a printer. (laughs) All right, my friend. Who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 980. That's the one we did with John Somnes, where we talked about careers and uh, kicked off a huge amount of conversation. 
they're still coming out the, these oh, comments. Oh, for sure. Huge, Imagine. huge number of comments. Probably John Sanmez gets the prize for most number of comments on a show, I think. At, at, at this particular point, yeah. And it sort of speaks to where people are at these days. That sure they're does. Thinking pretty hard about their careers. Uh, and this particular comment comes from Simon Bull, who says, This was the first .NET Rocks podcast I've ever listened to. Mm. And largely because I have just discovered John and wanted to hear what he had to say. Turns out it was very interesting and some points hit home for me. For example, having a plan for the day and week and sticking to it, especially for scheduling time for non-work. Mm. I suffer a similar affliction to John in that I currently feel bad for having free time when I know I have other things to do. I think if we were lucky enough to be given a copy of John's course, what I would most like to get out of it is an understanding of how to promote yourself successfully. I work for a consultancy currently, so would instantly be able to benefit from this while building my brand and hoping to make a switch from being an employee to actually working for myself, which seems to be the dream of everyone, right? Just mm -hmm. thinking that, you know, self-employment has pluses and minuses, you know, it works both ways. But it does. I'm with you, Simon. Also, it did make me have a small chuckle when the podcasters, I guess that's you and me, have a dig at blogging as an old pot and kettle thing. <laughs> well, there you go, Simon. I hope you listen to more shows. We get funnier. I promise. <laughs> Case and in a, point, fix those JavaScript errors. Yeah, we found a five-step thing for all JavaScript, dude. You'll be ready. We're here to serve. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And that brings us to our guest today. John Peppers is a Xamarin MVP and author of the book Xamarin Cross-Platform Development. He is the lead developer on the game Draw a Stickman. Epic, that is currently available on iOS, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, Windows 8, Mac, and Steam. He works at HitSense on both line of business apps and games using Xamarin's tools. Welcome, John. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's great. And I must say, John, you are the best-sounding Skype guest we have ever had. <laughs> you must be in a in a soundproof room with a great <laughs> yeah. microphone on great bandwidth uh, i don't know just the, the planets are aligning today you sound yeah. great i think maybe kentucky has the best internet i don't know if that's what it is or <laughs> or the bourbon or something that could be it too <laughs> yeah they certainly have good horse racing yeah definitely yeah. oh and that just happened too didn't it sure did yeah it's a big thing here people wear their funny hats well at least the women do you know so yeah. Oh man, that was a great, uh, great experience to see on television. All the great hats that the ladies <laughs> were wearing as I was sipping my uh, mint julep. Well, and if you've never had a mint julep, you certainly understand why the women folk are all so happy because it's basically just a glass of bourbon <laughs> with a little sugar and mint. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Stickman Epic, talk about this game. For, uh, it's obviously on a slew. And I almost said a bad word there. It's on a slew of platforms. But uh, tell us about the game itself. Yeah, so we, we released the game in, uh, let's see, October 2012. And we released on when Windows came out. And basically the, the concept is that you draw a stick man and he comes to life. Nice. And then you 
walk around the world with this guy and you, you draw other items to solve puzzles, basically. And it's, it's really kid-friendly, but, you know, adults love it, too, because it is kind of hard. Mm. And usually the kids are actually better than adults at beating it. But <laughs> That's always a good thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the game is, you know, developed with Mono Game and all C-sharp, and it has a really high amount of code shared between all these platforms. I think it's like 97% when I did the actual math on it. Wow. And to refresh our memory, Monogame is one of those things that uses um, uh, the old Microsoft technology for, for graphics, right? The out, what it, it, it's now outdated. Yeah, so if you've heard of XNA, um, Microsoft developed that as kind of a, an easy, nice C-sharp layer on top of DirectX. And at the time, it was Xbox 360 and Windows only. But Monogame has is an open source project that brings those APIs to more platforms like iOS or Android or you know others. Yeah, Kindle. Kindle, yes. <laughs> and and Kindle is actually it's Android. An, yeah, it's just an older version of Android um, with some weird uh, you know weird things going on there. But it's not too hard to port games to Kindle. Mm-hmm. And Steam. Yeah, so on Steam we're actually using XNA. Uh, because um, Monogame has a Windows port, but we might as well just use XNA when it's available. Why? Is it faster? Um, well, on, on Windows, uh, Microsoft libraries, I mean, they still work. They work great, even though mm-hmm. it might be deprecated. Um, and it was, since we, we had already developed it that way, it's probably easier. Yeah, it was just kind right. of a um, time mm-hmm. saver. Mm-hmm. But it's all C-sharp in the end, right? Right. Uh, and I think the mono game version on Windows is probably not quite as used because of this, and so it's probably not as stable just because... Oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. Because not a lot of people... I mean, they would rather just use XNA, I guess, right. is their thinking. Yeah, I'm just afraid of XNA right now because it seems to be sort of in limbo as far as Microsoft's concerned. Okay, so now with Monogame and XNA and Xamarin... How, what percentage of code is shared between these platforms? Yeah, so in a game, the the thing that really gets you off the hook is that your your user interface is not normally native. Like it's usually buttons and you know whatever your game has. the The UI is pretty custom. Like it looks like the game on all all the platforms. So like the title screen on Angry Birds, for example it looks exactly the same on everywhere you play Angry Birds. Mm-hmm. Right. So we don't have to worry about, you know, rewriting the UI on each platform. Right. And, and Monogame, uh, the same code works on each platform. Like you might have a few minor tweaks here and there, or if, if you have things like achievements or maybe how your save game is saved to disks, things like that, those are the only things that change each platform. Do you end up keeping one code base and saying, if iOS, then this, uh, if Android, then this? Yeah, we do. Um, it's usually better to use you know, interfaces and stuff like that. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a little cleaner. Uh, but for simple things like maybe you know, a class that opens a URL in a browser, yeah, there, we would use pound if across that file. So right. you think 95%, 99%? Something like that. Well, s- some platforms were close to ninety nine, but I-, I think the lowest was ninety seven, and I think that was probably iOS. Wow. 
And you were saying as the commonality with Stickman was 97%. So that's very little code unique to the platforms. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Wow, wow, wow. Well, and I, and I just love the fact that be, people don't expect games to look like iOS or Android. They expect the game to look like the game. Right. And, and so we have like all these cool effects where things slide in and out that our animators came up with, you know, and so uh, getting that same look and feel across all platforms is, is nice to have in a game. Mm-hmm. So every time we talk about monogame, I come back to this idea of why can't we have business UI apps that, that, that do this as well, right? Is it that hard to do and, you know, input boxes and list boxes and things like that in pure graphics? I do think, yeah, input is probably the big hang up um, because, well, a lot of times games, you know, they're landscape, but um, usually when you go to enter some text, we take over the whole mobile screen Mm -hmm. um, because you're usually just entering a name or something for a high score. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it could be done. I think there are definitely use cases like, um, I don't know, maybe an app needs a lot of visualization, like some 3D um, picture of a human body or something. I think those cases would make a lot of sense to use monogame. Um, right. You know, stuff like simulations and things like that. It's probably the programming model that that gets you the most. I mean, doing doing any kind of input like that in a graphics environment requires graphics programming, not, you know, draw this text box here. And, you know, in other words, there isn't a layer of abstraction that goes across all of those platforms. And, and in a game, you don't really get a nice UI library. You have to yeah, build, you it yourself build it yourself unless right? you find one. So even like making a button, you're programming when they touch down and when they touch up, like what happens. Right. So, uh, that I mean, our, our game has very simple things, like there's a button, that's it. Yeah. But you have to take ownership of that behavior now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, that, that's always a trade-off. We we sort of take it for granted in the business world that there's sort of, there's standard templates for all this stuff, and all of that action, all of those visual effects, they just happen. We don't have to own them, we don't think about them, yeah. it just works. Yeah. Just grab the event and go. Yep. And in a game, a lot of times it's not even an event, because you have this you know, game loop running all the time. So your right. your click is really an if statement normally. Right. It's just a flag check on a way by through the state machine. Right. Yeah, that is that is the key, isn't it? I mean, you're in a totally different programming mode than than a than a business app. Because you're in a tight loop, you need to control the performance and you need to control everything that happens. So you can't have all these crazy animations and crazy, you know, UI things going on. But we, we we do in our games, you know, usually just transitions between screens is fine. But you do but the key is you you control it. There isn't something yeah. in the background that's that's working and, and taking care of all that for you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, how much of that is mono game and how much of that is you? Uh well mono game one, it, it's really the X and A APIs. They don't really give you anything for animation and right. uh there are some libraries that do, like Coco's 2D XNA is the, is the big one. Mm-hmm. But what we did in-house is um, we let it, this is kind of strange, let me preface, but <laughs> uh, our animators already worked in Flash, and we wrote a little program that would export their animations into something that our C-sharp program could load up and run. And that gave us a lot of flexibility where they could you know, be as creative as they wanted, move 
anything anywhere they wanted. Um, and and our game could load that up and run it. Interesting. And, and Cocos 2D, this is uh, another open source library specifically for, for 3D rendering? Yeah, it does animations, and I think it does some minor collisions. Um, oh, okay. But Cocos 2D um, is is originally for native platforms, but they, they ported oh, really? it to be used with Monogame. Yeah. So is there a specific version for Monogame? Yeah, it's just called Cocos 2D XNA. <laughs> Fancy name, yes. <laughs> well, that's that's good news. It, it, you know, it just I, I love when that happens, and and this is obviously a mature library because a lot of people are using this on the iPhone and and elsewhere. So excellent. So this this a little toolkit here between Monogame and Cocos Two XNA. You've got most of the ingredients for building a game. Yeah, I think so, and and especially if it's if you're just getting started or you want to make a you know simple game, I think this is the way to go to learn, and then you could upgrade to using the 3D stuff in Monogame. Interesting. Yeah, so it, when you say simple game, you're just talking about a side-scroller or, you know, what is simple exactly? I think anything that is maybe 2D or, or maybe a runner, you know, like you right. were saying, or or something physics-based, like kind of like Angry Birds even is pretty simple. Like you just shoot a guy and he knocks stuff over. It is a 2D game, actually. Yeah. You know, we, we forget. But you know, there's nearly no depth in any of that. It's I, I, and it's great to see that a game that's relatively that simple got so much traction that you know if you deliver the right model. Well, I guess what was that stupid game that kicked up such a huge storm? That was another simple side scroll, Flappy Bird. Yes, <laughs> Flappy Birds. How dumb a game! <laughs> yeah, that's a dumb game. Holy man! I think it could be written in like a day. Yeah. <laughs> and Xamarin has a sample, uh, open source sample that is Flappy Monkeys or something like that. <laughs> so you want a dumb game? Here's a script. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So replace noun here and it's Flappy Fish or whatever you want. Whatever it, makes you happy. Yeah. Now, I have not played Draw a Stick Man, but what's the real premise here? Because again, I don't want to just make fun uh, of games clearly i have played a lot of angry birds i've played a lot of angry birds star wars because you know angry birds with lightsabers is good well i think the big thing is uh, you know you start out and you draw the character you play with and oh, so cool. a lot of people have no idea that's going to happen and so they draw a guy and then all of a sudden he starts walking around and, and telling them to do things and they're like what it, you know it's e- even kids they love it and and so you, you then you draw a friend and then he gets eaten by a book and, you're on. <laughs> uh, and then you're on the mission to save your friend who's in the book. Uh, That's so cool. I, I love that moment of delight when your character that you drew comes to life. Yeah. That's just got it. What a great idea. Like you've got people in love with your game. And they haven't even played it yet. Yeah. And then they get in the first level, and you're given a fire pencil. And so the first thing people do is you know, they see a, ro- a rabbit hopping at the top of the screen. And so they draw a little fire up there, and then they burn the rabbit. And they're like, oh, my goodness, this game is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you horrify them, too. What a great combination. <laughs> well, and it's, it's clean. It's just like a, a, I don't know, a burnt spot. <laughs> a funny noise. <laughs> A little smudge where a bunny once was. Oh, yes. 
So how easy was it to get your app, to get your game on Steam? Or how difficult was it? What was that process like? Well, so that process is it's still in a little limbo, but um, Valve created uh, this process called Steam Greenlight. And what you do is you, you fill out this page about your game and you say, hey, if you vote for this game, it'll get on Steam. So it's actually audience voting to get it on the Steam. That's right. And, and the thing that's weird, as the developer, you don't really know... Well, at the time, we didn't really know how many votes it would take or anything. So uh, I think the game was up there for about six months, and we finally uh, got enough to get in. Hmm. So is it just a threshold of a certain number of votes you're in? Well, I think what it is is every month, the top so many games get in, basically. All right. And they've recently opened that up to more and more games. So I think now they do like 100 a month or something, or some large number. Wow, that's a lot of games. Is that how you're making money? Is it via Steam? Like, what's the most profitable venue for for uh, Stickman? Uh, originally, uh, uh, it was really iOS that made the most money. Sure. Uh, even throughout time. But when we were released on Steam, it was a good uh, second platform, I guess, uh, just because users there are ready to spend money. Because right, you know, right. there's not many free games on there. And so... Um, they also watch sales very closely. So, you know, launch week, we were 50% off or something. And that was like our biggest week on Steam. Interesting. Well, and yeah, because the App Store has a huge, whether it's iOS or any others, always has a huge number of free products. You know, there's a lot of ad revenue-based stuff. But, I mean, I use Steam because I don't have to think about owning my games anymore. I don't care where the disks are, things like that. And whenever I build a new machine, you just install Steam, you sign up with your account, there's all your games, install what you want to use. Like, that's what's... Steam figured out the cloud thing way before anybody else. Just why you want this. So, But it's really... You're right. We, I go to Steam when I'm prepared to spend money. I don't look for free stuff there. I go there because I want something good. So it's interesting to me that a small game... And it, what does it run on from Steam? What is it just for Windows 8? Um, It's actually just... Uh, anything that can run .NET 4 and higher. Okay. So, it, like, it runs on XP. Um, I think that's the oldest back it goes, though. We do have a Mac version, but it's not on Steam. We have a Mac okay. version on the Mac App Store. So you have to go to the Mac App Store to get that. And we might, we might work that out. Um, we don't think there's a huge demand for it at the moment. But. Interesting. Yeah, so the PC gaming market is still good for an indie developer via steam yes and especially if you're on sale like <laughs> they had a every time our game's been on sale it's just been like 10 times the revenue of normal wow. so. interesting and these are all arbitrary prices what what's what's the regular price of stickman uh on on steam it's 4.99 uh and then a tablet version on an app store is 2.99 and then any phone version is a dollar 99 so you and then you do fifty percent off the PC game, so you sell it for two dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, that's right. I can buy half a latte or a game. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I just yeah, I just find the physics. Shouldn't you make the game ten bucks and sell it for fifty percent off four ninety nine? It's really the discount that people like, not the anchor price. Yeah, it, it's just it's hard being a like considered a mobile port, um, right? People don't want to see something that costs 
you know, five times the amount they could get it on their iPad. Ah, uh, I see. Are people actually cross-platform shopping? It's hard to know. Um, we don't really have anything that connects up like a user's iTunes ID and their Steam ID. Right. That's an interesting idea. You know, and I and I wonder how often that's true that a guy got it for the iPhone, loves it on for the iPhone, so he got it for his PC as well. Yeah, and I, when the game was released on Steam, we kind of felt like these were all new users who've never seen the game before. Right. Like, hmm. We got reviewed on all these big websites like Kotaku, and um, there's this YouTube guy with lots of followers with a strange name that I couldn't tell you. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to take a break and cook up a mess of steamed rabbit. Yeah. Draw your fire. I could have said vaporized rabbit, but then I wouldn't have no rabbit left to eat, would I? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's not right. No, no, no. It's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I do that, let me tell you about the Telerik platform. Create compelling app experiences across any screen with the Telerik platform. Telerik's end-to-end platform uniquely combines industry-leading UI tools with great cloud services to simplify the entire app development lifecycle. Telerik offers everything .NET developers need to build quality apps faster. Try it for free at Telerik.com slash platform. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Sebastian Mojado. Congratulations, Sebastian. Golf clap yeah. for you, sir. Sebastian just won the Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. This is about a $2,000 value from Telerik and just about everything they do in one box. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away stuff from our sponsors like Telerik. And every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology that you pick given to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And we'd like to ask our guests, Jonathan, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now today, what would you buy? Well, it. I, I, let's say that I have a lot of free time too, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have a, a Netduino, which is like a, uh, it runs the .NET micro framework. Yeah. It's like an Arduino, but C-sharp. You can think of it like that. Sure. Yeah. I'd love to build some kind of like AR drone thing with C-sharp because I feel like I could do a better job than these guys who are writing it in C. <laughs> <laughs> We've done whole shows on the topic, dude. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I just think that you could, um, you could get out of all that low-level stuff and, and, you know, use a more powerful language and do something cool, so... I want Netduino in my dishwasher. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I want I want all of my appliances to have the .NET framework and web servers and, you know. Yeah. You need a tweet when your dishes are clean, right? That's right. <laughs> have you seen the uh, the gadgeteering platform? No, I haven't. Yeah, go to GHI Electronics. They sell um, stuff for this platform. It's kind of like Netduino, but I get the feeling it's a little bit more expensive hardware-wise. But it's also more modular. It's really designed for you to prototype really quickly. You don't need a soldering iron to get anything done. Right. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. It has like analog joysticks and oh, yeah. displays and all this stuff. Yeah, that looks like a good $5,000. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. You could spend money at .NET Edge tier. <laughs> no two ways about that. Awesome fun. Cool fine. Uh, John, I'm just presuming off the top of my head that the hot market for you, I don't know how much you know about where your customers come from. Is it all U.S.-based or how international has uh, Stickman gotten? Yeah, it's actually interesting. We, uh, we put Google Analytics in our app. And the thing that we noticed that was strange was that China was uh, a darker green color than the rest of the world. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and then we, then we took a look at it, downloads, and of course, you know, there are basically no downloads from that country. Well, one. <laughs> one, yeah. <laughs> you can always sell one copy. Yeah, it turns out that uh, uh, our app was pirated and across several different Chinese app stores. Like, I think Baidu was the big one. No. Um, and this is kind of commonplace with U.S. apps that are paid. Uh, they, It's just a different culture there where piracy is not a, not something that's wrong. You can think of it like that. They don't even, they don't worry about it. And are they selling the app in China or is it, are they giving it away? They're giving it away. Um, okay. For the most part, there might have been a few cases where maybe they were selling it, but um, that does go on too. Um, and so, you know, once we saw this happening, uh, our president and CEO went over to China to see you know, what it would take to get on their app market, which if, if you know, it's pretty fragmented over there. They don't have Google Play, but they right. have probably, you know, 30 to 40 app stores that all have a decent amount of downloads per month. But it's all free stuff, isn't it? Well, it's different. Um, so you could go to a, an app that has apps and then it takes you somewhere else where you download it and then you might pay in another form. <laughs> so it's pretty complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, a lot of the payments run through your carriers. So if, if you are on, for example, let's say you're on AT&T here, um, right. their in-app purchases would show up on your phone bill. Uh, Interesting. And, mm. and so... Doing that, it also lets them, they have a lot smaller levels of in-app purchases. So, like, you could have an in-app purchase that's like 10 cents, for example. Right, right. U.S. dollars. And so, you almost have to rebuild your game with that in mind. Like, because their games are free, and then they have constant microtransactions throughout them. Right, in-app purchases. This seems to be the modern way. I mean, so the sort of three ad models or three revenue models I've seen. There's buy the app, add supported apps so some chunk of the screen is always tied up in ads and this in-app purchase model but it seems to me like the in-app purchase means you really have to structure the you, i don't know how much you're into guys like bf skinner you have to structure the game to create this addiction to keep on making in-app purchases to make it worthwhile yeah and if you look at the the top grossing charts on ios or android all the games up there or like that. Like you might see one like maybe Minecraft that isn't right uh, in app purchase base, but that's really where all the money is coming from these days in games. Interesting. Mm. But it makes you have to think differently about your game. Like it, now suddenly the fire pencil is something you buy. Right. And and our game didn't fit the best with that because our game is kind of creative and has a story um where other games make more sense like games where maybe you earn experience or right and equip weapons and things like that um but we what we managed to do is just you know you buy after playing three levels you have to buy 
uh, a pencil to progress. And then you can buy um, diamonds, which lets you buy, you know, instant revives if you die. Or oh, interesting. Um, there's an armor pencil that, in the U.S. version, you can just buy it forever. But right. in the Chinese version, it's like a, a single-use thing. So, like, you use it once, and then if your armor is knocked off, you have to you know, buy another pencil. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so the ability to, you know, have armor ink to be able to draw armor on you is short-lived. Yes. But it's pretty cheap, too. So, like, three armors only cost, like, 10 cents, I think. Okay. So, your CEO went over there found out that the market was fragmented, there was all these different stores, and the in-app purchases was the working model, and then came back, and you built a new version of the game to support this, and then put it out just in China? Yes. Isn't this sort of over? Isn't Stickman already out in the wild in China? Why would anybody buy the new one that makes them do in-app purchases? Well, the the original version, um, we, we used a service that translates across 12 languages. Oh, okay. And it, and it wasn't the best translation, first of all. And then the other thing we did is uh, we we culturalized the game. So, for example, there's a winter level with like elves and Santa Claus and all this stuff. Right. And Chinese user doesn't know what that is. Like they, <laughs> I guess, yeah. This is just a weird guy with a hat or, you know. Right. What's up with the guy <laughs> in the hat? <laughs> <laughs> So, so our artists did things like, you know, they take our American tree and they turn it into bamboo or, and make the fences look, you know, Asian-y or, you know. Sure. What did you do for, for Christmas? Uh, I think we actually took that level out. Uh, <laughs> and they have a different level instead. Oh, okay. Interesting. So actually regionalizing the game, making it culturally aware, making it things that people recognize. Yeah, and we work with a company over there called uh, TalkWeb, and uh, they've done this for other games. They've, they've done it for Rovio and Plants vs. Zombies. And, like, for example, Plants vs. Zombies, the, one of the things they changed in it in the Chinese version is they have lawnmowers in a grass yard. Uh, well, in China, they don't really mow yards, right? Right. <laughs> if they're in a big city, they don't have a yard, so... Um, and, it, and if you're out in the country, it's growing food, not grass. Yes, right. And so they cha- they change things where you know there there's a great wall that you're protecting and some stuff like that that <laughs> made, made more sense it. to Chinese users. Yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting. So that company helped us out a lot. Were you able to get the pirated version of Stickman taken down from the Chinese sites by by bringing in a new version, or is that just blowing against the wind? Yeah, it's not really something you can do very easily. And plus by the time you do that, everybody's got it already. So Yeah. Right? I, I think it's better just to make a better game right. that's ready for that market and then they don't want the other version. Like, ah, okay. That's really smart. You just by making a culturally sensitive version with these new capabilities, anybody playing the old version looks cheap and you know out of date they want the new one but then they'll just pirate the new one right why don't you make a, a version that's insulting to chinese people <laughs> well the the <laughs> new version is free uh, right it's just got purchases thrown throughout it yeah so i see if if they distribute the apk for that and by the way yeah, that was a joke fine. i was a jo- i would not <laughs> ever recommend that you insult any culture that's just a joke bad joke <laughs> okay 
Not all the jokes work. Not all of them work, and please don't send me emails. <laughs> well, I called a fence Asian-y. I don't know if that's okay either. So. Asian-y? <laughs> yes. I, what's an Asian-y fence exactly? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to get the styling right. What about translation? How did you get a good Chinese translation? Well, uh, using a, a company that just translates your game for you, the thing that's weird about it is they don't really look at the game in depth enough to get the context. And so like we would notice things like, um, well, this is a different game, but there was a, a thing called bellows that like blue air, right? They use the word for like howl or yell in different languages. And so Mm. (laughs) you can see where that'd be confusing for the user. Yeah. Press Um, the howler. (laughs) 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 And so, um, we got a native Chinese employee who who works for our company now, and and we have more than one now. But um, that really played through the game, and it was like, man, this they decide that what menus made sense and what what things didn't make sense, and and I think we changed probably about fifty percent of the Chinese translations in the game. Wow, can, can does this make economic sense? Do you make enough sales in China? to justify the expense to make a Chinese-specific version? Well, in, in our case, we knew we had a lot of users who liked the game because it right. was being pirated. Um, it is a lot of work, but if you look at the data coming out, um, there's as many Chinese smartphone users as the U.S. right now. Interesting. But only that's still only 10, you know, maybe one-fourth of their population that have smartphones right now. So... In the next coming years, um, when their market gets more smartphone users, it's going to be a really big market. Yeah, but you're also making much smaller transactions. I guess the question is, how they can clearly play the game for free. How many of them are making in-app purchases? Yeah, I don't know the percentage, but um, there are so many people that even small transactions, you're getting, you're getting this, you know. I don't think we would ha- have the same amount of money as the U.S., but we're we're getting close to where it's equivalent of another platform like supporting. You know, Interesting. It's the same cost for us to support Google Play, for example, but we and we make that much money. Hey, know, so. guys, I want to interrupt for a minute. I've been quiet because I've been looking for something to support GUI uh, controls inside of XNA. Because this this dogs me, right? I mean, we have this mono game platform with ninety seven to one hundred percent code reuse between all these platforms, and I hear people struggling with you know all this stuff. And if we had any kind of GUI stuff that we could use, you know, and you didn't care about the you know, if you wanted just a standard look and feel, you could actually write these kinds of apps, right? So go to Nuclex Framework dot codeplex.com and that's n-u-c-l-e-x framework dot codeplex.com this is a set of fast and elegant this is from the page a set of fast and elegant components that take care of the grunt work required to implement certain features in your xna game and there's a gui tab a gui thing there so there's nuclex user interface gui user interfaces for xna flexible scaling and positioning management of multiple states and a decoupled rendering system. So it has um, 
the controls. It has a window control, a label control, progress, button, option, choice, input, and list. So there you go. There you have GUI for XNA. If you can use that with Monogame, now you've got GUI that can run everywhere. Yeah, most likely it would work fine with Monogame. Um, we've not looked into using it, but... Well, you guys good. do make games. Well, you're making all. games, right. <laughs> yeah. And we do make business apps, but we tend to go the native route because um, that's usually what our customers want. Sure. Native, native? Well, not Java, but like we'll use Xamarin uh, on Android. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not, yeah, the the the, the cross-compile solution. Mm-hmm. Do, do the customers actually care what platform you use Just or they just care what phone you get to? Um, it, well, if the customer is technically minded, they might ask us to use Xamarin. Right. If they're going to maintain the code base themselves. Yeah. Or they are using C Sharp on the server or something. But, you know, a lot of times our customers, they, they don't know what it is. And so we just say, hey, we can save you some development time by using C Sharp. And they're good with it. So <laughs> if they're already developing in C Sharp, certainly that's compelling. But I mean, the big, biggest thing I've come to appreciate with the Xamarin approach is when you put out a new version, you put it out for all the phones. Yes. And, you know, the fact that you can, well, like we, we share code between the server, even in a lot of cases, like you've got all these model objects running in ASP.NET. Well, might as well use them on the client too. And it saves a lot of time. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's hugely compelling from a business app perspective. You know, if you're doing the B2C thing where you're letting customers have access to your business data, which is ultimately going to save you money because they're they're self-serving, it's more about getting across all the phones than it is about getting the ultimate out of any given phone. And we also get, like, customers who really care about the experience. And so they want a native app because they want, like, cool effects or they want, they want it to look like iOS 7, for example. Right. Want to give it a look and feel. I always reference the United Airlines app uh, as sort of an example of the strength of going all to, uh, to all of the platforms, although they've gone native all the way across the board. They recently put out a new version of their Android app, and it looks like an iOS 7 app, which is to say it looks like a Windows phone app. So the, it's probably a native Android app, but they just took on some of those iOS 7 themes, and which still looks like Android. It's still flat on both. Yeah, it does. That definitely looks like Android. But, uh, it's really interesting you know, where where all that's going, and it, and I feel like we're we're sort of at a cusp here of finding the right tool sets for these normal, you know, not something as big as United Airlines, but an everyday business who wants to provide a mobile app to their customers. How do they do that effectively and actually make it maintainable over time? The platform fragmentation isn't going away, so it needs to be absorbed. True. But it'd be interesting with your guys' skills in mono game, you know, combining mono game with something like this Nuclex framework could really, you know, a whole other way to go about it. Well, yeah, I mean, it it's always fascinated me. I mean, I don't know how elaborate it is and how good it will look compared to a native, you know, app, but it is an interesting approach. Yeah, and I think it could be worthwhile if I, I think that maybe the issue is that most business developers don't use monogame day to day. And so, right. You know, it's not something that crosses their mind. They would rather use HTML or something that they already use. Yeah. I mean, if I could use 
C sharp XAML and compile it everywhere, I'd be happy, but I can't. <laughs> and maybe one day that'll happen. Maybe we'll one see. day. I certainly hope so, because man, I love it. XAML cross platform is an interesting possibility. Jeez, I love it. It's just so great. Well, anyway, that's. I, I think we're almost out of time. Is there anything else that you want to uh, touch on, John, before we sign off? Well, I think if you, if someone out there just wants to check out our games, you can go to hitsense.com slash games, and that's H-I-T-C-E-N-T-S dot com. And, but that's really it. All right. Well, it looks great, and uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks, guys. Wish you continued luck in the future. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.